Welcome to What's Next, Cornet Global's podcast that puts members on the mic with thought-provoking, profession-shaping conversations and commentary. Today's guest is Thomas Bade Matison, partner, The Switch, who will be speaking on Net Zero to Hero, Lightning Round. Hey, good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the Sustainability Learning uh, Theater. Uh, I'm John Letty with Jones Lang LaSalle, and we're happy to sponsor this next uh, event. Uh, Thomas Bade Matheson is going to be presenting on Net Zero to Hero, the lightning round. Uh, Thomas is a New York City uh, New York City Service Provider of the Year for 2020. Uh, he is an executive advisor, speaker, and expert on corporate client change. With that, I'll turn it over to Thomas. Thank you very much. Hello, everyone. So, we'll jump right into it. So, I swear this is the only slide I'm going to be reading along from, but uh, pay attention because I'll be quizzing you. So, there is no company whose business model won't be profoundly affected by the transition to a net zero economy. Companies with a well-articulated long-term strategy and a clear plan to address the transition to net zero will distinguish themselves with their stakeholders. But companies that are not quickly preparing themselves will see their businesses and valuations suffer. It's important to recognize that the net zero demands a transformation of the entire economy. As more and more investors choose to tilt their investments towards sustainability-focused companies, the tectonic shift we are seeing will accelerate further. So then the question is, who said this? Any suggestions? So these words don't weigh lightly because they were said by this guy during his annual letter to CEOs. He's the CEO himself of the world's largest investor, BlackRock, and every year he writes a business letter to CEOs. This year, it was all about one topic, and that's one we're going to be exploring today. Now, why did he wrote, write about that? Because this thing happened. This is a picture from NASA. Uh, I apologize, the screen is a little small, but you get the picture. We are seeing years, hundreds of thousands of years, with cycles up and down of CO2 emissions concentrated in the air. And suddenly, just after 1950, something peculiar happened. It seems like an outlier, but it's not. Well, it is, but it's uh, a real one. Uh, it's not a flaw. Uh, it's the emissions we are facing in the air today. And why does that matter? All of us have had a fever. A degree or two doesn't seem to matter so much, but it does when you have a fever and keep it for a while. It's the same with the planet. And that's what we want to make sure that we get a curb on. So if not, this graphic here, which was published by Financial Times last week, is pretty interesting. It shows that in 2020, around 29 million people lived in a place with a mean annual temperature of 29 degrees. Easy to remember. 29 million people, 29 degrees. 2070, scientists from Asia 
and Europe and the US are predicting that there's a pretty strong chance that we're going to have around 3 billion people living in areas with a mean of 29 degrees. Before that was basically in Sahara and a couple of other places. But look at all of that. So no wonder people are getting their skates on. We are now on the verge of passing tipping points, boundaries that once passed will unleash irreversible and self-amplifying change. That's from the guy who narrates all of the na nature documentaries you've been watching growing up, Sir David Attenborough. All right, this is the lightning round. We're going to pack a lot of information into a very short time. We're going to go from some basics to exploring net zero. And as promised in the title, here's your hero. Me, I'll be your guide. Uh, Thomas Bader Matheson, I've been working with this for a long time. I spent my 20s learning about the business of sustainability and climate action. Uh, in, on one hand, um, Europe, well, so Milan, New York, Boston, and on the other hand, uh, rural Panama, Zambia, India. Now in my 30s, I've de dedicated my time to transferring this knowledge and helping people apply it in their own businesses. But I want all hands on deck here today because that's what it requires to get to net zero globally. And so I'm going to try and stay as colloquial as possible, but we're also going to be covering quite a few technical topics. And that is one of the challenges of facing net zero. So. Does anyone know what net zero actually means? I would love to hear any suggestions. Can we have one suggestion? Yes. Zero carbon emissions. Yes. Now, a lot of people sometimes confuse it with carbon neutral, but there is a difference. So let's look at what that difference is. Net zero carbon means making changes to reduce carbon emissions to the lowest amount and offsetting only then as a last resort. That's what net zero is about. Whereas carbon neutral, which is something that is a little vaguer uh, and which more companies start talking about because it's easier, is a policy which often is about not increasing carbon emissions, although we see companies increase their carbon emissions and say they're neutral, because they are achieving carbon reduction through offsets. Okay. That's the difference. Offsets are OK on one hand. And on net zero, we really want to use them only as last resort. So let's put that in a graphic. This line here is your emissions. OK? This is any company's emissions. We're using some hypothetical numbers. Down here is your axis of time. And you've got Paris-aligned emissions trajectory, which means net zero by 2050 in order to stay within 1.5 degrees, which means only 1.5 degrees of fever. It's already bad, but not so bad. Now, down here, we've got some compensation. So if you're a company emitting this stuff in gray and you want to compensate under carbon neutrality, then you can do that by adding an equivalent effort of offsetting in order to neutralize. But as you can see, there's a bit of a problem with that, right? Because you're not actually necessarily reducing. 
So what are some issues with offsetting? Let's say that your offset is tied to a forest. One of my questions would be if you're offsetting and you're tying it to a forest. By the way, a lot of companies have big claims and they don't even know what their offsets are tied to. Uh, I won't name names, but journalists love talking about this. And it's kind of embarrassing to see how people don't know the origin of their offsets. But in this case, the origin is, an, is a forest. I would then ask, is that forest going to stay? Is there a guarantee? Is it going to burn down? Is it going to get chopped down, recultivated? Or would it have been planted anyway? Maybe someone was already in the business of doing this. And they just said, I'm going to make some more money. So now you might even have people disincentivized to do what they were planning to do, which would have been good for the planet until they now get an extra cash flow for the offset. They can link to it. Um, will it deliver the claimed GHG reductions? It's a little tricky accounting here. Definitely a lot of experts doing great work in certifying these projects, but it's still a little ambiguous. Double accounting sometimes happens if you don't have a good accreditation. And the problem underlying all of this is that you can continue emitting and say that you're carbon neutral. Not good. So we've covered some why, we've covered some what, but now let's get into the meat of it. How? Emissions. It's a lot of things. We've got CO2, but we've also got methane, nitrous oxide, dioxide. We've got stuff going on within your company, but we've also got your upstream activities. Big deal. We've also got your downstream activities. Also a big deal. Typically, that up and downstream activity, which isn't necessarily within the walls of your company, is actually what stands for most of your emissions. And now we have to curb those as well. So best practice number one, we're now going to net zero. Okay, And this is the question, how are we going to do it? Science-based targets, setting targets that are in line with the science of staying within one and a half degrees. Science-based targets basically help us go from this NASA picture where we see the current levels up here, we want to bring them back down. If you think that every person, organization, company in the world curb their emissions, we would start reducing them and that's what the science-based targets are for. The Science-Based Target Initiative is organized by a bunch of heavyweights within environmental movements. Uh, we've got 2,121 companies that have committed to setting or that have set science-based targets today. Some people will say, ah, oh, but how is that a best practice? Well, most companies don't set science-based targets. About 20% of uh, targets set in the US are actually not science, uh, are, uh, only 20% are science-based. The others aren't actually in tune with the science of staying within one and a half degrees. Uh, if you set those, you're gonna be covering your scope one, two, and three. By 2050, you're gonna reach net zero. There was an update this year, so people that say, I set the science-based target, actually there's news. This October, just basically a couple of weeks ago, and an edit was set where you now have to set a goal for five to 10 year target and then an additional goal for 2050 where you have to reach net zero. All of these companies, early majority, late and laggards haven't set these yet. So it is a best practice. Make sure your company is working with companies that are, have done it or considered it or do it yourself as well. Climate pledge. The climate pledge says it 
clearly Paris 10 years early. Now we're talking about net zero by 2040, not 50. 211 signatories have signed up for this, including Verizon, PepsiCo, Uber and others. How are you going to achieve it? With reporting for transparency and governance, you're going to reduce carbon in your business and only at the end you're going to use your offsets that we talked about. Best practice three, I'm running fast on some of these, we'll go slower on some of the others. The RE100 has 341 signatories, including 3M, AB InBev, Adobe, Airbnb, Apple. You're going to make a public commitment to source or to already have sourced 100% of your renewable electricity throughout your entire operations by 2050. By 2030, you need to have done 60%. By 2040, you have to done 90%. So how do you do that? Typically, you get it from your utility and you get a certificate for having sourced renewable power. You can also make a power purchase agreement where you either do one alone or you team up with others. It can be virtual. There are different ways of engineering it, but in basic, it's a power purchasing agreement. Or you can do your own direct, even on-site generation. But if you're buying Rex, which everyone has heard about, you have to make sure that they're bundled because so many are not. Bundled means that your certificate is tied to the actual energy that you're buying. If it's not, you could have energy going in another location and you don't know from where to where and when was used and generated and that gets a little ambiguous. Uh, time and place, you ideally want to make sure that we're talking about something that is actual and that is near where you are so that you can have an impact because everywhere needs to do this and so if you're pointing across the world for it it's not very helpful to make sure that everyone is doing it. Additionality, buying power from a hydro plant from the 70s is great but you're not adding renewables to the mix. You're supporting an old project so you want to make sure that you're buying from something that is a recent development so that you're helping those investors and developers pay down their project to add new stuff to the grid. Really important. So look at four years or so back or maybe you can even contribute to a new project with a power purchasing agreement. Best practice four. This is cool. 24 hours, 24-7. So. Uh, 24-7 carbon-free energy. It's linked to the previous point, but this is from Google, and it shows 2012 to 2019 renewable energy purchasing compared with total electricity use. Why is this interesting? Because you see that Google basically started 2012, they had 34% of their consumption covered by renewables. As you hit 2017, it's 100%, and you see that they're buying more, they're consuming more, and more and more, but they're matching it. But Google says 100% re doesn't fundamentally solve the problem. Why? So here you see their Iowa data center, carbon-free energy supply. That's the green. The gray, gaps in carbon-free energy. Interesting. So for a lot of the time, you've got this demand, but it's not being covered. Hmm. Most people don't think about that. So what Google have said is that by 2030, we intend to source carbon-free energy for Google's operations in all places at all times. 
That's a fascinating challenge. Five, multi-level supplier engagement. Now, this is your supply chain that we looked at earlier and your emissions. Uh, now, what's interesting is that that supply chain has its own supply chain, which has its own supply chain, which has its own. You can do these Russian dolls here and have a very, very long, complicated line of supplies and associated emissions. So you actually have to work on multiple levels because your supplier can say that internally they're good, but they also have a supply chain. So you can realize that this is actually a very long uh, chain. So you've got initiatives like Transform to Net Zero with a bunch of impressive companies that are helping supply chains get educated. They're even planning their business accordingly to collaborate so that internal objectives can be shared, paired, and coordinated. They are pooling investments with suppliers. They're even innovating together. And they're also doing some public policy work. Best practice six and seven. These go together with one example, embodied cam uh, carbon and product impact. So I'm going to read a little bit from a stat presented to another session by another session yesterday. 40% of the world's CO2 emissions come from the built environment. We don't hear that 28% of those emissions are associated with building ops, but 11 with the building construction materials. And that's called embodied carbon. So what the fine folks at Microsoft did was develop a product to help solve this issue, which is called the EC3, Embodied Carbon in Construction Calculator. It's free. It's hosted on Azure, one of their pro products. And it helps you calculate the embodied carbon in your projects. Go check it out, and you'll learn more. That's an example of your downstream impact. So here you've got Microsoft creating a product that has a positive impact. And that's also one of the tools in your box. Eight, carbon pricing. So how are Microsoft going to pay for those efforts? Well, they said that they're actually going to get people to pay. Each division in their business are going to pay $15 per metric ton for their carbon emissions. They're going to use that to pay for sustainability improvements. And as you can imagine, when folks get a price on their carbon, they're also going to start thinking more efficiently about not doing those activities that are intense on carbon. So I promised to Hero, here's your hero over here. We've just covered basics. We've talked about how to achieve net zero. But there is a beyond. And maybe not everyone in the world, every person, company, organization is going to reach net zero as much as everyone has to try. But if you can, go further and imagine maybe it's going to put you in a good impression. And maybe people are going to be doing more business with you. And so Microsoft, for example, are now pledging to remove all historical emissions. By 2030, Microsoft will remove more carbon than it emits. By 2050, we will remove all historical emissions. And think about that. They were founded in 1975. And by 2050, they're going to remove as much as they ever emitted from 75 to 2050. So there you go. We just did a lightning round from zero, net zero to hero. I'm Thomas Bader-Matheson. This is my email. And thank you for your attention.
All right. That's it. Thank you. This concludes this episode of What's Next. Want to record a podcast of your own? Have an idea or point of view you'd like to share? Visit cornetglobal.org content to submit your idea.